Never has there been a more crucial time in the history of mankind. The kingdom of darkness has done its best to disrupt governments, enslave societies, and hinder the saints. Circling the globe, however, are mighty men and women carrying the weapons of God to undo the power of Satan, preparing people for the return of Jesus Christ. Evangelist Chris Palmer is one of these soldiers. As he carries out his itinerant, join God's man of faith and power while he contends for the faith once delivered to the saints. Your life will be changed as you learn the walk of the Spirit and the walk of power in On the Road with Chris Palmer. Well, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3 this morning. Matthew chapter 3 in Jesus' name. Someone look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Say it like you hear this morning. Say, neighbor. Are you ready to enter in? To everything that God has for us. Well, then buckle your seatbelt this morning in Jesus' name. And if you also have your Bible, I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to teach this morning for the next four hours. I'm just playing. It won't be four hours. <laughs> like I said last night, I don't think I like to even hear myself talk that long. But I think some of my friends will tell you otherwise. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Father, we bless your word this morning. We pray you give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. May the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we would know the hope of our calling. Father, we pray that your precious Holy Spirit would illuminate the word of God. We pray that you would take these inspired words that are on these pages and breathe on them and reveal them to our hearts as to the meaning so that we can use them and we can apply them to our lives to walk in complete victory. We welcome the anointing of the spirit. Someone say, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed. Have your way. Move upon us and breathe upon me in Jesus' name. First Peter chapter 5, Peter says here in verse 5, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yeah, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. And it says here, For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And here's what he says in, numbers, in verse uh, number 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Somebody say promotion. We hear a lot of talk of promotion inside the churches today. We hear people saying that God's going to promote you. We hear people that prophesy promotion and prophesy increase, and I believe in promotion, and I believe in increase. However, here's what I believe. I believe that promotion and all promotion has got to come from God. Someone say, God, you can try your best to try to promote yourself. You can do everything you want to do to try and lift yourself up naturally. And here's the thing about it. It actually might work, and you may get away with it. But what the Lord has taught me early on, not just in my ministry, but in my life, because my life is ministry, is that if you want a promotion from God, you have to do it God's way. Amen. And what the Lord spoke to my heart is this is that you can promote yourself, but if you promote yourself, it's subject to fall anytime you make the wrong move and make the wrong mistake. Now, you may get lucky through the whole thing and figure out a way to do it by the natural and to do it in your own wisdom. And I will say this, there are millionaires and even billionaires that have learned how to promote themselves using the law of averages, using the law and things that operate in this world and carnal knowledge to promote themselves. But if they make the wrong mistake and they get over into an area 
there's no grace to cover them because they're the ones that promoted themselves. But if you really learn, friend, to take the low road, what you'll begin to find out is that God has the ability to promote you. And when Jesus walks up to you and Jesus puts his hand on you and says, friend, come up higher. There's nothing in heaven or in earth. There's nothing in hell or in between that can separate you from the promotion that God has for you. And what Peter is talking about here is he's talking about God-ordained spiritual promotion. And here's what he says. If you want God to exalt you, the very first thing that you have got to do is you have got to begin the process of humbling yourselves. And look what he says here in verse number 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, when I was in uh, Bible school, even in church, for the longest time, people used to preach this verse, and I used to hate this verse. I used to think, okay, I get it, Peter, to cast my care upon God, but how do I do this? How am I supposed to cast my care upon the Lord? And then we'll maybe get into that a little bit today, but here's what I want to focus on, is when God begins to promote you, Peter says something right here that I want to hone in on a little bit today, and he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about whom he may de- seeking whom he may devour. It says, whom resisted steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, let's move to verse number 10. He says, but the God of all grace, who has called us unto his glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What I want to talk about today is going to the next level that God has for you, but doing it God's way. Amen. Like I was saying before, when God decides to promote you, what he's telling you right here is that when God gets into a position to move you to the next level, understand it's not just a natural level, but it's also a spiritual level. And the very first thing that Peter is telling you is that when God is going to promote you, you have got to watch out because there is an enemy that is looking after you that is seeking you and is trying to devour you. And people a lot of times never realize this. I know this is a fact that when I was a young man in ministry, I would look at my favorite preachers and I would marvel at them and I would say, my God, I want the anointing that's on that man of God's life. I used to sit in my dorm room and I had videotapes of my favorite preachers and I used to watch them over and over and over and over again saying, God, if I could just be like Oral Roberts, if I could just be like A.A. Allen, God, if I could just be like Kenneth Hagin, if I could just be like these men of God, God, I'll give you my life. Make me like these men. I want to operate in the supernatural the way they're operating in the supernatural. I want the joy that they have in their life. I want the peace that they have in their life. I want to get whatever's on them, God. I got to have it on my life. And what I didn't realize is this, that the level that they are operating on does not come without the enemy trying to challenge you and try to buffet you. And what God told me one time is this. He said, son, take your time and be careful and let me work with you on the level that you're at. Because when I work with you on the level that you're at, I'm going to build things inside you. I'm going to instill things on the inside out of you that's going to keep you so that when you get to the next level, the enemy can't swat you down. Am I making sense to you today? And that's why he says, humble yourselves, because before God begins to take you to the next level, he's got to begin to humble you. Am I making sense today? Are you in Matthew chapter 4? So I'm going to walk you through this. And basically what I want to talk today about is getting to the next level is I also want to move into the area of prayer, but Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. How many know that it is a time that we're supposed to walk in the Spirit? More than ever before, this is a time 
that as Christians and as believers, we're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. Matthew, actually, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, and number six, verse number 16, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. When you begin to study this scripture out, you'll begin to find out that this is when Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. Someone say, baptized in the Spirit. Notice what it says right here, is that God was pleased with Jesus before he ever performed any miracle. God was pleased with Jesus before he ever entered into his public ministry. The very fact that Jesus was a son of God qualified Jesus to be pleasing unto God. A lot of times people think that, well, I'm, I'm, I want to please God by laying hands on sick people. I want to please God by working my ministry. I want to please like this. But what God is saying is that he's pleased with you the way you are as a son and a child of God. And so the minute that you get born again, the minute the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world comes upon you, you receive them. He gives you that reborn spirit, which is that power to become a child of God. He automatically is pleased with you and like we talked about last night he instills to you that righteousness and so you can go before the throne of God anytime you want to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and he just looks at you and he smiles and he marvels because he sees you as his child and I would never have to be a good athlete in high school I wouldn't even have to make good grades for my dad to love me and say son I'm pleased with you and I'm believing the best about you and I'm hoping the best about you and the only reason is because you're my son and everything else is just a benefit amen so we see that God is pleased with Jesus. But we see in Act, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus gets his spiritual promotion because before Jesus ever entered into his ministry, he lived 30 years without doing any miracles, and then he was baptized by the Spirit. The minute Jesus was baptized by the Spirit, the power of God came upon him, and now Jesus was going to be thrust into his ministry. And this is what I want to talk about today, is that when you begin, we talked about last night the walk of the Spirit, how every justified man of God is put on a path. And as you go along that path and begin to walk into everything that Jesus has for you, you're going to begin to receive the inheritance that he has for you as a child of God. You're going to start to receive the things that the Spirit wants to get over to you because positionally, you're child of God just because the word of God says it positionally the word of God says that you're healed positionally the word of God says that you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places positionally the word of God declares these things about you but let me tell you this it's not good enough just to have it positionally you need to begin to experience experientially what God has done in your life because you might say God says he's blessed me with all spiritual blessings but I don't feel blessed the Bible says he's called me to a supernatural but I don't feel supernatural the Bible says he's called me to walk in healing but I'm not walking in healing and that's because what you need friend is God to promote you you, and when God promotes you, he sends the spirit upon you and he gets you by the hand and says, let's move you from these positions so you can start collecting them and beginning to receive everything that God has for you. And the very first way to do that is to allow the spirit of God to come upon you and begin to walk you into those things. You hearing me this morning? But what I realized from the word of God is this, is that when I really started going after the things that God had for me, when I really got serious about saying, okay, God, I'm going to humble myself this morning. 
I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to humble myself today. And it's not just something you wake up in the morning and do and say, oh, God, I just humble myself and, and I'm going to just be a, a carpet rug so people can wipe their feet on me. That's not what humility means. You know what humility is talking about? Humility means going after righteousness, doing it God's way, seeking and hungering after the things of God, going after what God has for you. When you begin to go after righteousness and you begin to do it God's way, you begin to walk into that thing that God has for you. The enemy is going to challenge you. Am I talking to anyone this morning? Okay. I used to ask this question to the Lord a lot of times in Matthew chapter 4. I never understood. Look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When Jesus was baptized with the Spirit, that was when God came upon him. And says, Jesus, it's time for you to start your public ministry. He endued him with power. And immediately after Jesus received the baptism of power to enter into his ministry, you will see that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Understand this and write this down if you're taking notes today. Whenever you begin to enter into the fullness of the things that God has for you, you can guarantee and you can expect that the enemy is going to challenge you on every end. The devil doesn't just mess with Christians that aren't doing anything. The devil will leave those people alone. But what I've come to find out is that most people that are struggling usually are struggling with their flesh. Most people that are struggling are struggling with some area that they cannot get over. But as we talked about last night, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, when the power of God gets a hold of you, when you begin to contend for the supernatural, you begin to move past your flesh and you begin to get challenged by the enemy. And unless, like Peter says, you have begun the humbling process in your life, you are subject to be hit and to be attacked and to be overcome with the enemy. When I was starting in my ministry, I'll take you back. Who was here last night? Raise your hand. Let me just backtrack a little bit last night. Can I just go back for the people that weren't here last night? Okay. I was talking about last night. When God called me to a higher level and said to me, son, I want you to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And I want you to really spend the time praying in the Spirit. I want you to pray in the Spirit. And I began to pray in the Holy Ghost. How many know that, like I said before, it's a time that we walk in the Spirit? More than ever before, more than any other time, we have to really begin to walk in the Spirit. And it's not just enough to have natural prayer. Because you can pray, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. As Christians, we've got to understand that there are levels in prayer. And there are depths in prayer that we really don't know anything about. And what God told me is he said, Chris, there are levels in prayer that you don't know anything about. And if you can get to those levels of prayer, your prayer can actually, literally begin to move mountains completely out of the way and I'm calling you to get to these levels of prayer and what I began to understand is that when I pray in the Holy Ghost and when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 too that when I pray in the Spirit I am speaking out mysteries the mystery of everything Jesus Christ is in me the mystery of everything Jesus Christ is to me and the mystery of everything that Jesus Christ is through me and I began to sow God something and when I began to sow to God was my time and I had to get I had, the very first challenge was is that I had to get past the emotionalism of 
thinking to myself, I'm just wasting time. I'm wasting time. I could be trying to be productive with this time. I'm wasting time. But what I didn't realize is that if I can just stay with this thing and not let this thought intimidate me and just pray in the spirit and give God those hours of edification, what I didn't realize is that I was allowing the Holy Spirit to have his work inside of my life. And the hours that I was sowing to God, I was praying out the plans of God that he had for my life in mystery form. And I didn't realize that just on the other end of that thing was a supernatural level that God was calling me to that would take me to a deeper level of prayer. And when I got to that thing, I would experience peace like I've never experienced before. I'd enter into joy like I'd never entered into that joy before. And all I had to do was sow God my time and give God my lips and allow the Spirit of God to pray through me. That's humbling yourself before God. And the devil would say, well, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You could be out there. You could be trying to book engagements. You could be out there trying to preach. You could be out there street witnessing. But you're praying in the spirit. And what the enemy is trying to get me away from is he knows that, friend, when you begin to pray in the spirit and you begin to give God your time in private worship, he is going to launch you into a supernatural life that the enemy now is going to have to get up on you and trying to blockade you from. Are you following me right now? So I had a prayer mentor. He came to me and said, I told you this last night. He says, let's go ahead and pray eight hours in the spirit. And so we would do eight hours every Saturday night that I was in town. Eight hours every Saturday night that I was in town. And if I had a time in the day, I'd try to do two hours. And this is not by works, lest any man should boast. This is by grace. But what praying in the spirit does is it releases the grace of God over your life. It enforces the grace of God over your life. It's a tool that God has placed in your hands to ignite revelation knowledge. And so he came to me one time. He said, Chris, um... Now, this is all a part of humbling yourselves. He said, Chris, he says, what are you doing on Saturday? I says, I'm, I'm not traveling. I'm in town. He says, let's do 20 hours in the spirit. 20 hours praying in the Holy Ghost. And just because I wanted to be able to tell people I did it, I says, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's see if we could do 20 hours in the spirit. I'll sleep late. I'll, come to, I'll meet you at the church at 3 o'clock p.m. We'll pray, and then we'll go to 3. We'll go to, I says, if you're going to do 20 hours, we might as well just do 24 hours to say that we actually prayed nonstop for a day, and we can say we pray without ceasing at least one time in our life. And so he says, okay, you do 24 hours. I said, okay. Just to say I could do it and it could be done. That doesn't give me a badge. I don't get a special reward in heaven or applause from any angels because I pray 24 hours, nor do I expect you guys. See, someone asked me one time, they said, what do evangelists do when they're not preaching? We try to pray as long as we can to brag about it. <laughs> so um, I started at 3 o'clock. Prayed, prayed, prayed. 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock was the longest hour of the day because I thought, man, it's only been an hour. But see, God has given to you a supernatural prayer language in the humbling process to take you to the next level so that God can promote you. And your promotion that comes from God is a result of you beginning to mortify the flesh. You know what God told me one time? I was praying on the stage. I was, I was at a church, and see, I was learning about the humbling process. And I was saying, God, I need you to increase this ministry, and I need you to send money into my hands, and I need you to do all, so send it money. I call it from the north and the south. I call it from the east. I call it from the west. And you know, it was Pentecostals. We do a little rain dance. I thank you. It's mine. I thank you. I got it, Lord. Oh, I thank you. You do the moon walk like Michael Jackson. You try and do everything possible to get that money. I got to dance it on in. That's what Brother Hagin says. You got to dance that money on in. And you think you got to moonwalk that money on in. Then you think, but what do relevant pastors say? The relevant pastors say, I got to call it on in. I got. And so you do everything that you think to do, and it doesn't come in. You know what God told me? He said, Chris, I'm not putting no 
money in your hands until I can trust you with the money. And here's the thing. If you have no money in your hands or you have a million dollars in your hands, I got to know that you're going to be the same person. So don't ask me to send money into your hands. Ask me to kill the thing that's inside of your life that would keep me from putting the money in your hands. You know when Paul says, I know how to abound and I hold our base, here's what's happened in the church. The prosperity people that are radical about, I believe in prosperity, but I'm not, I'm not way out there on prosperity where everybody should have a jet and everybody should be living in a mansion because let me tell you something. If you believe God's going to give you a jet and you don't need a jet, who's going to pay the insurance on a jet? Who's going to pay for the engine when it breaks? Where are you going to take the jet? Who's going to pay for the jet fuel? It's, you, know what, you know what God told me one time? Can I get off on a tangent for just a second? I'm, I'm just kind of settling this. You know what God told me one time? He said, Chris, why is it? That when people think prosperity in the church, they ask me to give them a depreciating liability when I could put in their hand an asset to pay for the depreciating liabilities. I told God, don't give me a jet. I don't want to pay for the insurance on the jet. Give me a business that I can run everything through and let the business pay for the jet. I don't even need a jet. If you gave me a jet, I'd be like, I don't want that thing. Keep that. I'm not paying the taxes on that jet. Shoot. <laughs> One day, maybe, but whatever God has, I'm not seeking a jet. Using it as an example. I hope you all like, oh, this preacher's one of them guys. Now, so the Lord says to me, let that thing die inside of you so whatever I can put into your hands, I can take you to the next level. That's humbling yourselves under the hand of God. And when the mortification process is in your life, then God can begin to take you to the next level. Let me explain it to you like this. I was praying before the Lord one time. And all of a sudden, in an instant, in a flash, just like this, the Lord shot and sent through my spirit a vision and a picture like an image instantaneously. It flashed before my eyes in one second. And in one second, I had millibytes and megabytes of information in the mind of God. And the Lord showed me a little snake on the ground. And in this, you ever watch the Discovery Channel and see those snakes that are just super poisonous? Maybe you get a, a National Geographic magazine and you see those snakes. I mean, they are venomous looking snakes. They're red and black. They got the stripe going down their back and you're thinking man if that thing gets 10 feet in front of me that thing is going to kill me and um I thought wow this, this is a poisonous snake it was clear as a poisonous snake and it was in the grass and all of a sudden in a second I saw a fence go around that snake and God I said God what is this he says that that fence is representing religion and that snake is representing that thing inside of people's lives that will kill them if they don't take care of it. And he says, what religion has tried to do is when somebody has an issue inside of their life that will kill them, religion has tried to fence that thing in. And through rules and through regulations, that snake has been kept inside of the box through laws and through trying to keep things and, and trying to keep boundaries in your life. That thing is kept in there. But if you don't take care of the snake, that thing is going to eventually end up killing you. And the Lord gave me, if he, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 and he says, it's through the spirit that we mortify the lust of the flesh. And God says to me, it's not my desire that you go ahead and put a fence around it using religion. What you have got to do is learn how to cooperate with the power of the spirit so you can pull the word of God out and you can begin to kill the snake that's in there and eradicate it completely out of your life. And when you kill the snake and take care of it, then I can promote you to the next level that I have laid up for you. But learn to get with the spirit so he can kill these things 
things inside of your life. And that's why I believe as Christians, we're falling so short of the peace that God has for us. We're falling so short of the joy because we've never allowed the Holy Spirit to have his operation. Sure, we've heard of the Holy Spirit. Sure, we've listened to messages on the Holy Spirit. But we have got to learn how to tangibly allow him to walk us into what God has for us so we can get that promotion that comes from him. You follow me today? All right. So I said, all right, all right, let's, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. So one hour turned to two, and two turned to four, and, and four turned to eight. And people asked me, well, how did you do it? I said, well, I just walked up and down the cart and prayed in the Spirit. Took a drive, prayed in the Spirit. Walked through Walmart, prayed in the Spirit. Someone said to me, you can't walk through Walmart and pray in the Spirit. I said, well, I did. I, I did. Because God has taken it away from your understanding. Your mind is not fruitful. You don't need your mind to pray in the Holy Ghost. Someone says, all right, well, can you have lustful thoughts when you pray in the Holy Ghost? What do you think the thing's going to pull you out of those lustful thoughts? If you're praying in the Spirit, because when those things come back edified, you're going to be removed from your lustful thoughts. You can have lustful thoughts praying in the Holy Ghost. You can pray in the Holy Ghost. All sorts of thoughts are going to run through your mind. But just keep praying, and what's going to begin to happen is you're going to get revelation from the Word, and your mind's going to renew itself. Praying in the Holy Ghost does not replace your meditation, but it helps to assist and accelerate your meditation. So I was praying in the Holy Ghost, and then at, uh, I was getting, you know, the hardest part was praying to the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, turn to 6 o'clock in the morning. Then all of a sudden, I get to about 8 o'clock in the morning, and now I have a whole afternoon of praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost, and finally, I felt like Superman, because I was at the 23rd and a half hour of praying in the Spirit. 23 and a half hours. And now I felt like I had some type of position to go up to God and talk with Him. And I stopped for a second and I said, now God, it's 2.30. I started at 3 o'clock yesterday. Stayed up all night and watched, prayed in the spirit. Fasted most of the time. I think I stopped for five, ten minutes to eat. I said, now you got to increase this ministry. You've got to put the supernatural on this ministry. You've got to do something in this ministry to begin to take it to the next level. I want you to increase and grow this ministry. And you know what God said to me? Because at this time in my life, I had not come to understand the humbling process. The Lord said to me, grow your ministry. You want to talk to me about growth? He says, right now I'm not interested in growth. I'm interested in your death. I thought, Whew. I said, what do you mean, God? And he didn't answer me. But I knew that there was something in my life that had to die. Now follow me. The next day, I was walking into a Chinese restaurant, and I was meeting a worship leader of mine who was going to do a service for me in Detroit, and we were just going to have dinner and go over the service and just gain the heart of the person, and this was back in April. And I was walking into the restaurant, and I was, I could have been thinking about basketball. I don't know what I was thinking about, it, but it wasn't God at the moment. And I was walking in, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Spirit of God just shot past me. Like he ran past me and tagged me and just left. I mean, it's like he just, like a train just went right past me. I had a visitation from the Spirit of God. And I felt like he just, just got past me. But let me tell you something. When you get in the presence of Jesus, you know it's Jesus. Because his presence is, is undescribable. You can't describe it. And I just was walking into the restaurant. And I just began to weep. And I just began to cry. And I just, I could, I just was overtaken with his presence. And I, was, I said, God, you had 24 hours the other day to make me cry. Why are you making me cry now when i got to go to this restaurant? 
So I walked back to my Jeep, and I got in the car, and I tried to get myself together, and I was crying, and I was weeping, and I felt the presence of God. And I said, God, I can't go into this restaurant like this. I Do what you have to do with me in this car, and I'll just tell her I'll be late. And so I sat there, and all of a sudden, I got myself together, and I walked back into the restaurant. But the whole time I was sitting there eating with her, I was thinking to myself, I, I got to find out what just happened because I feel free. I got to find out what just happened because something's different inside me. I got to find out what just happened. And so we had dinner. We ate, and I rushed back to my house and my condo. I ran upstairs, and I got in my bedroom, and I closed the door. And I said, God, please, please come back and visit me the way you just visited me because it was glorious. It felt like a warm blanket that was over me. I just, I just wanted to stay in it. I wanted to stay in it. I didn't want to leave because if this is what heaven is going to be like, it's, it's, it's the reward that I want for the rest of my life is his presence. The reward of your obedience is him, friend. And, and the Spirit of God said to me, he said, Chris... You'll remember this day for the rest of your life. I said, what happened, God? He said, because you have learned the humbling process. Because some people think humbling themselves means to just live in a beat-up house and to live in a beat-up car. But you can live in a beat-up house and you can live in a beat-up car but still not gain the victory over your flesh. You can live in a beat-up house and a beat-up car but still live like a sinner. And God is not interested in that and you get no reward for that. And God says you're learning the humbling process. You are learning. You are learning how to come up under my covering so when the enemy attacks you, he's got nothing in you. Nothing. Some people are so quick to exalt themselves and so quick to promote themselves. God said this to me. He said, Chris, he says, I have got to begin the mortification process inside of your life because understand this. The enemy is not going to try and kill you at the beginning of your ministry. He's going to try and kill you 20 years down the road. When you fall, you can't pick up the pieces. He says he waits for people to fatten themselves up like turkeys before he kills them. He's not going to kill a skinny turkey. You know, everyone's going to be eating turkey for Thanksgiving in just a couple of days, and no one's going to be trying to kill these little skinny turkeys. They wait for a couple of years. I was in, with a pastor in Texas, and he had, a, like, a bunch of cows in Texas. They have cows in Texas. Just, they own them. And uh, he said, I had a cow for eight years, and then I killed it. I was like, are you serious? He said, oh, yeah, eight years I had this cow. I was like, did you name it? He goes, yeah, I gave it a name. I thought, you know, I would think as someone that has cows and butchers them, you wouldn't make them pets before you kill them. you try and distance yourself from that cow, and then you'd kill them. He said, I said, so one day you're petting it, talking to it, and the next day you're taking a sledgehammer right to its head. He goes, no, I don't take a sledgehammer. I shoot it. And I was like, oh, even better. <laughs> That's what the enemy does. He waits and waits and waits. See, we don't hear a lot of preaching on Satan anymore in the churches. We just don't. But we're going to understand the supernatural. You've got to understand that if I'm going to give you keys to walking in the Spirit, He's going to watch you. And He's going to try and pick you off. That's why preachers sometimes get to the second level of glory. And they kiss the third level and then the enemy swats them down. They have a fall or a scandal or something that just destroys their ministry and destroys their integrity. Why? They got cocky. They got cocky. They got arrogant. They thought that they were above the rules, and because they were haughty and they lost the humbling process, the enemy came in and, like the Word of God says, devoured them like a hungry lion. Some people say, well, we ain't got to worry about the devil. He ain't got no teeth. Jesus took his teeth and pricked them out. Let me tell you something. He's got teeth, and he will eat you alive if you don't keep yourself humble. 
He's a dangerous lion. If he was that weak, you wouldn't be warned of him in Scripture. He ain't got no teeth. I've seen the enemy devour preachers alive. And I've made a decision he's not going to devour me in my ministry. He's not going to get me with lust. He's not going to get me with scandal. He's not going to get me with greed. He's not going to get me with pride because I'm learning the humbling process that when God gets me there, I'm so fortified against his attack, he can't get me with greed. He can't get me with money. He can't get me with fear. He can't get me with worry. A lot of times when preachers decide that they want to increase their budget, they suddenly feel led and compelled to tell everybody that their increase is coming and all they have to do is sow a seed and I'm not going to buckle to the pressure. Now, listen to me. I'm not preaching against prosperity. I believe in all that, but I believe in doing it in God's time. God, what is this? What just happened to me when the Spirit came upon me? He said, Chris... I'm teaching you the humbling process. I said, what happened? Now, now listen. Some, you can deny me all you want, but I know what God said to me. He said, son, he said, because you have learned the edification process. The last 24 hours I had you on assignment, you were praying out the mystery concerning your ministry in the future. And what I did was I went ahead of you 20 years, and I found something in your life that would have eventually killed your ministry 20 years down the road. And because you spent all day and spent all night praying for it, you gave me what I need to put that thing to death inside of you. And the minute that I came upon you, I killed that thing, and that's why you started crying, because you were free from it. I just started crying, and the spirit of worship came upon me. Friend, he's so good. Someone says, well, what was that thing that he killed inside of you? I don't know, and I don't care. All I know is I was free from that thing. Because, write, write this down if you're taking notes, friend. Are you guys receiving from me this morning? I want to pour this out. Prayer, prayer, when you're doing it God's way, is not supposed to be reactive. But supernatural prayer is always, right, always, supernatural praying by the Spirit is always proactive. Because what God spoke to me and says, Chris, if you're really going to go after the praying that I have for you, ask me and believe me to give you bigger eyes to see and bigger ears to hear when you're in prayer. Because praying has very little to do with what you say. It has everything to do with what you see and with what you hear. It's not so much your mouth. It's more your eyes and more your ears. And when all of a sudden you're praying, you see something. You see an attack. See, intercession means to suffer with. You're like the watchman that's on the walls. And when you're interceding, you're standing on the walls and you're looking across. Everything looks good. Everything looks good. Everything looks good. And so all of a sudden you see something that invokes danger. You see something that could be coming against your family. And the Spirit of God says to you, son, if you don't start interceding, this could happen. If you don't understand it, this act, and you see these things before they happen, and you're able to get in between that thing and block that thing from coming to your family and keep that thing from coming in and binding the source of it, instead of having a belief for someone's healing or having a belief for someone's miracles, you wouldn't have to believe for all those miracles if you could do the proactive praying. That's prayer, friend. That's prayer. Now, don't go around telling everybody what you see in prayer and what you hear in prayer. They'll think you're spooky. I hardly ever tell people what I hear in prayer. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I'm off. Sometimes I miss it. But there are a lot of times when I get it right. There are a lot of times where I see something in prayer. When God shows you something in prayer, the most immature thing that you can do is share it with everybody. 
That is a mark of immaturity. You know what, there's, there's different phases of spirituality. There's infancy, and there's adolescence, and there's adulthood. You know what adolescents do all the time? They talk. Chip, 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 chip. Everything they hear, they talk, they talk, they talk, they chatter, they talk, they chatter. They just keep talking, they keep talking, they keep talking, they keep talking. And when you're an immature Christian, you talk. You, t- you know what God told me the other day? You know, I, you know what he told me? You know what he said about you? And you want to prophesy everybody? And you want to talk to them? Just keep it under your, just keep it under your shirt. Just be quiet about it. And pray against that thing. God has shown you something so you can pray for it so it doesn't come to pass. Are you following me today? And so when God begins to give you the Holy Spirit, like we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 3, and the Spirit came over him, the very first thing the Spirit of God begins to do is he begins to teach you and help you how to pray. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, I believe it is. Now listen here, I want to hit intercession for a second. This is all part of humbling yourselves. How many, how many are with me this morning? It says that when Zion travailed, she brought forth sons and daughters. And I was praying, and I'm not a church expert. I don't try and critique and criticize the church. I'm not a pastor. I, I really try and stay away from all that kind of stuff. But I asked the Lord, I said, well, I just, not trying to be critical, but I also can think. I said, you have all these, I, I, I always get reports of ministries, how many people got saved? How many people got saved? We had X amount of people get saved, and there's thousands of people. Oh, there's great ministries. I'm not questioning their salvations. This X amount, this thousands, thousands, if you counted all the ministries that I've heard, I mean, we're talking millions of people right here. I said, how is it that if all these people are getting saved in the United States, we are still a society that is degrading we're still a society that is refusing to take the there's still so much flesh and there's still so much carnality inside of the church why is that god and what the lord spoke to my heart is he says chris he says in order to bring a salvation about you have got to begin to enter into the process of travailing i said what do you mean lord he says people are coming to know me but what i want is people that aren't just trying to make a life change see the very first thing the requirement to be saved is this you've got to be convicted of your sins when I got saved, I was in the sixth grade, and I know this is a fact, that when I was sitting there, and Tom Elmore, who went on to be the youth pastor at Lakewood Church, he sat there, and he preached about my sins, and he was preaching about Jesus, and for some reason, I felt like I needed to take a bath. I felt like I needed to take a shower. I felt the heaviness in my chest. It didn't matter that I was raised in church my whole life. I was convicted. I needed Jesus. I needed to be set free from this weight that was on my chest, and I went to the altar, and Jesus scrubbed me clean, but I remember the very first thing that drove me to that altar and got me to the point of tears when I was convicted I knew I was in sin it wasn't that I decided to try Jesus I'm gonna try Jesus because I didn't like Kabbalah sometimes the movies are they gonna try Jesus they're curious it's good that they're curious but what they need is a preacher that has the anointing to bring them into the conviction of your sins and that doesn't always mean you point a finger at them and give them hellfire and brimstone it just means you speak the truth under the anointing of the Holy Spirit so it can reveal to them how dirty they are and how clean Jesus is And the reason that people get convicted is somebody the whole time is behind them praying for them. Praying, 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 praying. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. We just heard Katy Perry's dad the other day. He's praying for his daughter, praying for his daughter, praying for his daughter, travailing for his daughter, praying for his daughter. Intercession is going on. This is how sons and daughters in the church are birthed, and it's a requirement to walk in the spirit that you begin to travail and pray for people. Now listen. 
I was at this church one time when I was praying, and I said, I'm going to start praying for people because I haven't prayed for people in a while, and I should probably pray for someone other than myself. I was praying for people, and Father, I just prayed for Jim, and I prayed for Joe, and I prayed for so-and-so, and God said, stop, stop, stop. Don't you ever pray for people again like this. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He says, don't you ever bring to me one of my sons or one of my daughters and pray for them just because you think it's the right thing to do. If you're going to pray for somebody, you pray for them. I said, yes, Lord. And as I yielded to the Spirit, it's like a holy touch, a holy fire came over me. And I started praying for that person. And I started praying for that person. And supernaturally, I would just start praying. It wasn't even in tongues. It was supernatural things. I was praying over their life. And I was declaring things. And by the Spirit, I was knowing things. Not super personal things, but just knowing things about their life. I pray for this. I pray for their finances. I pray for, their, I pray for this level of peace. I pray for their family. And I was travailing for that person. And because I was doing it by the Spirit, now what was getting to happen? is I was literally moving mountains away in their life and that is the kind of prayer friend that is going to begin to work and that's the kind of prayer that's going to begin to move mountains in their life is when you begin to do it by the Spirit. Am I listening? You following me today? Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 3. So Jesus is baptized by the Spirit and now he has the fullness of the Spirit inside of his life. And I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same thing that Jesus used inside of his life to empower him to have a supernatural ministry. And there's no question in my mind that when Jesus, after he was done pouring himself out and praying for people, when Jesus was done ministering to sick people, the word of God says that he would remove himself and he would go into the desert and he would pray all night. And a lot of times people think that what Jesus was doing was that he was praying for those people that he, that he was sick. I don't think Jesus was doing that when he was in the desert. I think Jesus was edifying himself and building himself back up because how easy would it be if you were growing out limbs and raising the paralytics for your flesh side to want to be tempted by the devil to get prideful? How easy would it be where everywhere Jesus went they wanted to make him king of Israel and he would have the power to actually overthrow the Roman Empire and all Israel would have backed Jesus and Jesus knowing what he knew about himself could not die he had to give himself over to death how easy would it be for the enemy to creep back into his life and try and get Jesus to fall and make the same mistake because didn't the Bible say that the enemy left him for a better time we never read about those other times but is it possible in the life and ministry of Jesus that after he was praying for sick people that the enemy would try to come back to him and pull him away and say, why don't you become the king of Israel? Look at all these people that are now following you. When Jesus was in the desert, that was before he had a following. How much more when he had a following? But Jesus, I believe, would go back into the desert and begin the humbling process again and humble himself. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. They want to make me king. You want me to die so that I can be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Your will, not my will. Your will, not my will. And when God begins to promote you and when you begin to be used by God to help people and heal people, you've got to make the decision that I'm going back into the wilderness and I'm praying. And what I'm praying for is that whatever is in me that needs to die, dies. Why? Because Jesus knew what Peter knew, that once you begin to be used by God and God begins to fulfill his will for you, it's going to give to you something called influence, and this influence is what the enemy is going to use to pull you back under and destroy your credibility. Are you following me? Now listen to this. We're going to just take it to the next level here. 
We'll be done by 12, I promise you. We'll be wrapped up with the service by 12. When I began to pray in the Holy Ghost, after I prayed for 24 hours in the Spirit, I took an engagement in Gulf, Freeport, Texas. And something in my life had died at that point. I felt like a brand new man, like I was free. And I pray in the Holy Ghost because I know there are things in me that need to be mortified. And, and, and I don't just pray in the Holy Ghost because I'm, I'm after miracles and I'm after signs and I'm after wonders. I believe miracles, signs, and wonders is the icing on the cake. And the gospel goes forth and is backed by signs and wonders. But I really don't try and boast about all the miracles that happen in ministry so people book me for engagements next year. Because I know guys that do that and I'm not about that. Actually, what's more important to me than the miracles is the levels of peace that I can attain to in Jesus Christ. What's more important to me is the levels of joy. I'd rather sit in my bed and have joy and peace and levels of bliss and glory come over me than to just have miracles. I believe miracles follow that. But the reward, friend, like I said the other night, is him. It's him. It's him. If you were to ask me a year ago, Chris, are you in peace? I would say, of course I'm in peace. I'm a faith man. I follow Kenneth E. Hagin and Oral Roberts. I'm a faith man. You better, I was on a Bishop Keith Butler. I'm a faith, of course I'm in peace. But I didn't have not then, I didn't have now to compare then to. And if I were to compare now to then, I would say I wasn't in peace. Because of what this praying in the Holy Ghost and meditating the word of God has really literally got me over into. And so here's what begins to happen. When I was in Gulfport, Texas, it's the very first time in a service, a lady came up to me. I was praying for sick people, praying for people to be healed, praying for people. And the Spirit of God came and the gifts of healing were manifested in the service. And people were getting healed from sicknesses and diseases. And a lady came up to me and I was getting ready to close the service. People that had arthritis were saying that the pain left their body, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I was getting ready to close the service. And an old lady came up to me. And she may have been in her 80s or something. She, she came up to me and I decided to pray for her in front of the whole church. I said, sister, what's, what's wrong with you? And she said, I'm blind in my right eye. And I thought, oh, great. Everybody that was coming up is getting healed. And now a blind lady is coming to get healed. God, I don't have the faith to pray for a blind lady. I, why, and this is gonna, I, I was 10 for 10. Now I'm going to be 10 for 11, God. Why did you have to come up and ruin this altar call? Lady comes up. I said, well, sister, we're going to agree for your healing, right? First time I put my hand on it, nothing happens. Second time I thought, you know what, I need to put some oil on my hands. Put the oil on my hands, nothing happens. The third time I put my hand on her and I said to God, God, I am not letting go until this woman's eye completely opens up. And then something, I cannot describe it to you, but I call it, and the word calls it, the gift of faith came over me and I felt the supernatural rush. It's almost like my faith had ended and I didn't look at the problem the way man would look at it anymore. I looked at the problem the way God looked at it. When the gift of faith comes over you, friend, you know longer see the problem the way you see it. You see it how God sees it because he doesn't look at it the way you look at it. He's God. He can move it out the way anytime he wants to. It was a supernatural manifestation of the spirit. I said, sister, your eyes are going to be open in the name of Jesus. And I remember going back to my room afterwards thinking, I can't believe I did something like that. What if she didn't get healed? I can't believe I did something like that. And instantly her eye popped open and that woman could see. And friend, I have got to tell you, when that happened, it creeped me out. And when I went back to my room, I I was scared because I knew I was messing with the power of God. It humbled me. It humbled me. Now, what are you telling me about this miracle for? Because I'm telling you this, is that when you get to the next level in your ministry and you get to the next level in your life because you begin to go after everything that Jesus said that you go after, you are going, friend, you are going to be met by the enemy. 
Now I realize that people don't have 24 hours to sit around and pray because people have jobs and people have to go to church and people have to go to school. But you be obedient to God. How much time does he want you to give? And based upon your schedule and your life and the grace that he has for you and the grace that he has distributed to you, he's going to pour it out in your life, friend, and things are going to move. They are going to move. Now, So when God began to show me the humbling process, and last August I began to walk into everything that Jesus has for me as a result of the humbling process, I began to see something in my life, and, and I want to share this briefly with you this morning. Matthew chapter 4, let me show this to you. Are you guys with me this morning? Yeah. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now if you see it in... Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, we talked about that last night. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and then which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has sprung up. That's talking about the born-again experience. That goes hand in hand with what we learned about in Proverbs chapter 4, 18, that says the path of the just goeth brighter and brighter unto the noonday. Is that the light that's in you is supposed to get brighter, and it's supposed to get brighter, and it's supposed to burn hotter, and it's supposed to burn hotter. But when that process is initiated in your life, you're going to be met by the enemy, friend, and he's going to try his very best to stop you. And just in a few minutes, I want to share with you that when you go after God has, go after Everything that God has for you, you're going to be met by what I call Mr. Strongman. What do you mean by Mr. Strongman? Look what happened to Jesus. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he has afterwards and hungered. Notice that Jesus is in the wilderness with the Spirit. He is beginning to build his ministry. Jesus was beginning to increase in the power of the Spirit. And look what happened to Jesus. And when the tempter came, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. The very first thing, if you're taking notes, that when you begin to do the walk of the Spirit and the walk of power, and you begin to simply, just because you can, and on purpose, allow the Holy Spirit to take you by the hand and walk you into the inheritance that God has for your life, the very first thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to be met by the tempter, and the very first handle that the tempter is going to pull inside of your life is the handle of the flesh. When the enemy came to Jesus, he examined Jesus, and the very first temptation that the enemy used was, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? When the enemy comes to you and tries to stop you, friend, the thing that he's going to use is he's going to try and find your weakness. If you're into lust, he's going to try and use lust against you. If you're into pride, he's going to try and use pride against you. The lusts of the flesh are the things that you use to gratify yourself. And most Christians and most people, when they come to churches, are seeking deliverance from their flesh. And I will say this based off of my own experience and not anybody else's experience, just off of the people that I dealt with in my own self. Is for years, it was a battle of me trying to gain the victory over my flesh. And a lot of times, Christians stop at their flesh because if they think they got the victory over their flesh, that's good enough for them. But what the Holy Spirit's job is to do is to lead you past your own flesh. And so when you begin to do the edification process, when you begin to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God through the edification process of praying in the Holy Ghost, what begins to happen to you, friend, is you begin to rise above the damnable things of your flesh. You begin to rise above the lust. You begin to rise above the pride. You begin to rise above the greed. And God says to you, I, I, I can put money into their hands. And he puts money into your hands. He says, I can begin to use them in the gifts of the Spirit because they're not going to 
use it as a show and they're not going to try and promote themselves with the gifts of the Spirit. I can use them in the gifts of the Spirit because you are getting past your flesh, friend, and you are now going to move to the next level that Jesus moved to. People get past their flesh and they think they're in the clear. They get past their flesh, they think like, this is it. I've moved past my flesh, I'm now supernatural. But remember this, that there are always different levels and if you don't know what the enemy's gonna try and pull, you can be subject to that thing. Are you with me? It says in verse number five, then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to them, if thou be the son of God, cast yourself down, for it's written, he'll give his angels charge concerning you and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time they dash thy foot against the stone. Now I used to read this very, very casually until the spirit of God began to inform me what was going on here. If you can make it past your flesh, and you can really begin to put your flesh under by the Spirit, the next thing I can promise you the devil is going to examine you for is he's going to try and get a hold of your emotions. What do you mean your emotions here? Very simply, if you were a minister or a pastor, youth pastor, or just a friend of somebody who was struggling, they came in your room and sat behind your desk and says, here's my problem. I'm hearing voices. And these voices are telling me to climb to the highest point of the city that I live in, cast myself down, and throw myself off. What would you say that person is dealing with? That person is in a mental fight because the enemy has gained their emotions. I believe personally that that would be the spirit of suicide. And I believe that what the enemy was trying to do with Jesus is he was trying to torment the mind of Jesus and maybe not necessarily get him to commit suicide, but at least get him to be confused about his identity and who he really is. When you begin to go after everything that Jesus has for you, the very first thing that, God, that the enemy is going to use is he's going to begin to use your flesh to try and stop you. A lot of Christians never get past their flesh. Or, and he's going to try and use your emotions and try and tangle you up emotionally. I remember this, friend. When I was praying in the Holy Ghost, and I first started my process, I talked about last night of praying in the Spirit and meditating, going after everything that Jesus has for me. I ran face to face, face with my own flesh. And I realized this, that all these people that I thought were my problem were not my problem. And I began to realize that when I was praying in the Holy Ghost, the very person that I hated the most and my biggest problem was myself. And the reason why praying in the Holy Ghost and fasting and giving myself to God was so difficult is because I was locking up myself with the person that I hated the most, and that was myself for hours and hours at a time and I was beginning to deal with the things in my life that I could not stand. Things were dying. But the minute that I started getting past my flesh and I started seeing why wow, I, I really, that, that I don't think that way no more. I'm not really dealing with the filthiness of flesh and filthiness of this. and fil I'm not dealing with any of those temptations. I'm, I'm just, I've risen above that stuff. Then I started realizing that my emotions were starting to get involved in this thing. And what I call it is that when you begin to go after what God has for you, you're going to run into different strongmen. And the enemy is going to try and challenge you. And the next thing I started realizing, even in my own life like Jesus, is I started dealing with my emotions, particularly the area of confusion. Some people really cannot stand to stay in prayer a long time because when you start praying this way, friend, the enemy is going to target you and he's going to really try and confuse you about the word of God. He's going to really try and get your mind confused on these areas. Go with me, Matthew chapter 4. Let me show you the third thing. Matthew 
Jesus said unto him, it's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And verse number eight, and the devil took him up unto exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto them, all these things will I give you that will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto them, get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and them only shalt thou serve. The very third thing that the enemy is going to try and use in your life, when you start going down the journey of the walk of the spirit, the walk of the power, you begin to mortify the flesh and get past the flesh. You begin to mortify your deadly emotions. You start rising above the confusion. You start rising above the discouragement. You start rising above the emotionalism. The next thing that the enemy is going to try and do is when God begins to give to you revelation knowledge, the next thing the enemy is going to use is filthiness of spirit. And he's going to come into your life, and I promise you this, he's going to try and tie you up with false believing and false doctrines. If Jesus were to fall down and worship the enemy, that would be now Jesus succumbing to a false religion and a false doctrine. And I've seen this happen a lot of times in men of God's life. God begins to use a preacher in a certain area. God begins to use a man of God in a certain way. They get past a certain level in the anointing. They get up to the next level in the anointing. Then all of a sudden they start coming off with something crazy. I'm the prophet Elijah. Come back from the dead. They start believing crazy things about themselves. Why? Because the enemy found out, you know what? I can't win with them if I oppose them as the angel of darkness. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to them as the angel of light. And by coming to them as the angel of light, I'm going to mix them up and try and tie them up. And here's the thing. The average Christian never even gets to the point where the enemy can do this because they can't get past their flesh. But here's the significant thing about it, friend. If you want to be supernatural, because look at the process. Jesus gets called the son and child of God. He's recognized as a child of God. After he's recognized as a child of God, what he's saying is that he has the spirit of Christ. See, when the Bible says that you've been given the spirit of Christ, it doesn't mean that Christ's actual spirit is in you. It means that the same components, the light that is made up of Christ, he lit you and he has his own individual spirit and you have your own individual spirit, but it's made of the same thing and that's life. And when that spirit is in you, you're now his brother and friend, and you come out of the same loins that Jesus came out of when he was born again, reborn. And now, after you're made a child of God, the Holy Ghost has been given to you, and the Holy Ghost is put upon you. And after the Holy Ghost is put upon you, God wants to begin to put you through the mortification process, and you run into the lust of the flesh, you run into the confusion of the mind, you run into false doctrine. But if you can get past those three things, what begins to happen is you become that light that goes into dark places and dispels the darkness. And then at the end of Matthew chapter 4, you begin to see that Jesus himself begins to heal the sick. He begins to cast out devils. He begins to lay hands on people. Why? Because now God has says, you've learned the mortification process. Now I can trust you as a supernatural child of God. If I can get Aaron to come up on the keyboard real quick. Are you following me? Are you with me? Are you receiving something this morning? Come on, let me see you smile this morning like you're happy to be here. Hallelujah. When God began to show this to me in the Word of God, I began to realize that the Christian life that we are called to live is not an easy life. I really believe that when 2 Corinthians, when you study the, the, the different books of the Bible, you have Romans, which is Paul's letter to the Jew, explaining that we are no longer under the law but under grace. 
and we're dead to the law because we're alive in Christ. And the law has nothing to do with your salvation. And apart from the law, you still could receive salvation because salvation is by promise and not by the law. Thank you, Jesus. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is a book that is actually addressing the church and is fixing problems in the church all as a result of their carnality, which was rooted in the fact that they all were prideful. And because of their pride, they allowed little foxes to spoil all their vines. And then you come into the book of 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is a phenomenal book because what this book of 2 Corinthians deals with is a book of 2 Corinthians deals with the subject of suffering. And a lot of people want to pass off suffering, don't want to talk about it. But in actuality, if you're going to live a supernatural life as a believer and operate in the raw power of God and operate in the supernatural power of God, there is a suffering that has to take place. But unfortunately, what religion has done is religion has tried to make that suffering sickness and disease. And that's not the suffering at all. That's a lie of the enemy because Jesus Christ came to take your sickness and he came to take your disease the suffering that you have to go through as a believer friend is that you have got to first of all make a decision in your life how committed to this thing do i want to become because i have news for you friend the enemy is alive and he is well people say well he ain't he, he's alive but he sure ain't well he is alive friend and his destiny is that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire but understand this that every city that you go to in the whole entire world has different principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in high places that are controlling those cities. And I am, if you've ever traveled, even as an evangelist, when I go to Detroit, it's a different anointing. When I come to California, it's a different flow. When I go to Miami, it's a different flow. You can literally tell the different types of principalities that has these cities locked up and confined. And what God is saying is that he's looking for a church that can actually get past their flesh because they've so allowed the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They cannot just get past their flesh, but they say, I'm not going to stop with the flesh. I'm going to go past the emotions. And they allow the Holy Spirit to come upon their life and they literally begin to get past their emotions and when they get past their emotions what God says is I'm going to begin to straighten out your doctrine and they get past their doctrine and God literally says I've gotten you to the point where you can be a supernatural believer and he throws them into that city and they begin to open up the windows of heaven and God pours out a mighty revival because they didn't give up on allowing the Spirit of God to use them they were broken before God. You know why Azusa Street, I'm going to talk about Azusa Street tonight. You know why Azusa Street was such a powerful move of God? Because those people were surrendered completely to God. Those people didn't want nothing. All they wanted was God, and they were willing to give their lives for this thing. Like I said last night, God only wants one thing from you, friend, and that's your life. And how am I supposed to give my life to God? You give your life to God, not necessarily doing ministry. You give your life to God in prayer. You know what God told me one time? He said, Chris, don't think for one second because you're up in the pulpit that you're going to get the great reward. He says the great reward is given to all those unapplauded, unknown, unrenowned prayer warriors that are in their closet daily praying for your ministry. That's who the reward is given to, friend. People that just aren't praying, God, bless me and bless my family. People that are praying consistently for the move of God and the outpouring of the Spirit. And so when God began to show this to me, I said, God, I don't even care if I ever get the microphone again and preach. Use me in the place of prayer, God. Use me. Come over me, God. I'm not just concerned about success principles. I'm not just concerned about 10 ways to have an easy life. I want God to see me as an intercessor that he can trust and literally throw me in the gap that separates you from hell. I want God to use me as an intercessor, friend. And I don't care if I ever lead someone to Jesus. Use me in, this, in the room so I can pray and let the other person lead him to Jesus. It doesn't matter to me, friend. I know my praying is going to affect things. Use me in prayer.
I remember when I was learning this, I was learning this in God. I really began to see he started trusting me as an intercessor because he would come to me at random times and he would get me to try and intercede for people. And I remember I was in my, my dorm room in college and I had a brand new Kenneth Copeland Bible, had all his sermons in it. And I vowed I would never write in it because it was such a beautiful, nice Bible. And I remember that I, I, I was grieved in my spirit and I said, I don't know why I'm grieved in my spirit. And the Lord says he was trying to get me to pray for somebody. I need you to pray right now, right now, right now. And I didn't press that. I can't, God, I'm busy right now, I'm busy. And the Lord rebuked me afterwards. He says, Chris, he says, when I come to you and I tell you to pray for somebody, don't you ever tell me no again. I said, why? He says, because the person I'm trying to get you to pray for is in danger. And I trusted you as an intercessor and I came to you and you told me no. What if you were that person that was in danger? I said, God, I'll never do it again. And I wrote in my Kenneth Copeland Bible, I will never, ever, ever in my life say no to God when he tries to get me to pray for somebody. That was about 2005 before I graduated. In 2007, I was working on staff at a church, and I thought I was big time because it was a mega church, and I was being used of God, and I thought I was the man, and I just was cool. And I was doing ministry about 60 hours a week and was so tired that when I got home at night, I really didn't want to pray. I really didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't really want to get in the presence of God. I was wore out from ministry, and I was on my day off, and I was folding my sheets in my room, and I was putting my bedspread on, and the Spirit of God came over me and reminded me of somebody that I went to school with. And I said, wow, I haven't thought of that person I haven't thought of that person in a long time and the Lord says to me pray for this person and in my heart I told God no I wasn't going to pray for them I wasn't going to pray for them not to make you scared but two days later I was going to church and it was 5.30 in the morning, and I felt led to check my Facebook and I never would check my Facebook wasn't even big back then I mean I really even checked it back then some of y'all millennials know what I'm talking about and I opened up my Facebook and there was a note from a friend that I went to college with. He said, Chris, he says, how you been, man? I know we haven't talked since college, but I hate this, I hate for this to be the way that we're going to talk. He says, but BJ, who the guy I was thinking of two nights before, who I hadn't thought of, he says, was driving down a country road in his home state of Iowa and an old lady missed a stop sign and ran into his car and he was instantly killed. And I was on my way to church. And in my hand, I was holding that Kenneth Copeland Bible where I had vowed to God that I would never, ever stop or ignore him when he told me to pray for somebody. And I'm not saying I'm to be blamed for that, but what I'm saying is this, that God, when you begin to get past those things in your life, he's going to entrust you prayer assignments. And friends, these prayer assignments are so precious and they're so powerful and he wants to put them in your hand because you literally have the ability to stop things and be proactive. And it's this kind of humility and humbling yourself before God that he'll begin to entrust those things to you so that you can move heaven and earth with your prayers. That's the power of intercessory prayer. And I can tell you this, friend, that, that when you begin to go on the walk of the Spirit and the walk of power and move into everything that God has for you, He's going to come to you. He's going to talk to you about your prayer life. He's going to get you to move into these things. Now, I noticed in the Word of God that when people began to operate at this level of praying, that the enemy always came to him. I said, God, he came to Jesus. But who else did he come to in the Bible? And the very first thing the Lord said to me is he says, he came, first of all, to Paul. I said, what do you mean he came to Paul? 
When you study the scripture, you'll find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul says, lest above, because of the revelation that was given to me, lest I get exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And so what is Paul talking about? God didn't give him that thorn in the flesh. When Paul started getting revelation knowledge from God, when he started going to that next level of glory that God gave for him, the enemy assigned him to, assigned a wicked spirit to him to go before him, to try and buffet him, to keep him from going into the level that God has for him. But the apostle Paul was talking about when he says that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Neither death, nor height, neither, neither principality, nor power. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. What was he talking about? I personally believe that Paul was talking about his afflictions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That when the apostle Paul moved past the realm of the flesh, and he moved past the realm of the spirit, and he moved past that realm of the soul, and he got past all these things, and the enemy had no handle in him, he assigned him a principality to try and shut him down because there were no handles in his life, and so he had to go to the next thing, and that was persecutions and everywhere Paul went he was shipwrecked he was beaten he was stoned he was laughed at he was mocked he was left for dead he was ridiculed the enemy was trying to stop him and what the apostle Paul was saying is when I'm weak then I'm strong what did he mean by that the apostle Paul was saying when the enemy tries to buffet my flesh it forces me to depend upon the spirit and when I shift over into the level of spirit then I find that strength to pull me through He said, I can't do this in my flesh no more, but that's okay because I got the edification process of praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was standing in a jail cell and had a human waist up to his knees, but he was in there and he was talking about that God is a sweet smelling savior. He was in there talking about, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Why would the apostle Paul be able to do that? Because he had living in the side of him the power of the precious Holy Spirit. So you see, Paul was met by the strong man in his life. The next person that was met by the strong man was the apostle Peter. When you read in 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 2, when Peter was preaching the word of God, if it wasn't for the apostle Paul, he would not have gotten pulled out of the simulation. Peter in Galatians chapter 2 was going back into Judaism. And what the enemy had done to Peter was he tried to pull him back into an old works mentality because the enemy messes with people's doctrine. Then you begin to study about the Apostle John, that how as a 90-year-old man, he was taken to the island of Patmos in exile. He was thrown into a vat of oil. The enemy tried to literally buffet him, tried to stop him at 90 years of age. Study the life of John, you'll find out that John was the greatest apostolic voice that actually walked the face of the earth. There was no greater apostolic voice than John by his old age because by the time John was 90 years of age, Peter was dead, Paul was dead, all the rest of the disciples was dead. The only person that lived at that time was the apostle John. And John was on in, in his city of Ephesus one day at 90 years of age. And he had wreaked so much havoc to the kingdom of hell that while he was sitting there in his home in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey, while he was sitting there, he heard a knock at the door. And John, as a 90-year-old man, walked his way to the door, and up came the Roman legionnaire, and they had in their hand a scroll that was from Domitian, who was the emperor. And Domitian, the emperor, said to John, he says, John, you got to come with us, because now Domitian is in charge in Rome, and he hates Christians. And your governor, Pliny the Younger, just wrote a letter to Domitian and says, what am I supposed to do with these Christians? And Domitian told them, you give them one chance to renounce Jesus. If they don't renounce Jesus, you kill them. And Domitian wants to see you because he wants to put a stop to this Christian religion. And so they took old 
90-year-old frail John, and they put him on a boat and sailed him across the Aegean Sea until he was taken about a week's journey all the way to Rome. And when he got off the boat and he got into Rome, he was taken before the Emperor Domitian. And Emperor, <coughs> Emperor Domitian said to him, John, I'm going to give you one chance to renounce this Jesus. And if you renounce this Jesus, I'll send you back to Ephesus free of charge. No problems. You'll be okay. But John looked at Emperor Domitian and says, are you kidding me? I walk with this man. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was the image of God that walked the earth. He was God. He was the one that the prophets prophesied about. I watched him as blind eyes were opened up. If there anyone was a superstar, it was this Jesus. Too bad you weren't alive during his time because you could have heard him when he opened up his mouth. You could have heard how he was the greatest of all prophets. He was wiser than Solomon. He was more beautiful than anyone that ever walked the face of this earth. He was Jesus Christ. He was a superstar. He is a superstar. He'll always be a superstar. He's the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega. It's because of you, him, that you have air in your lungs. He's the one that created the earth and he now lives on the inside of me. You have got to be crazy to think for one second that I would literally try and renounce this Jesus. How can you get to a place like that when you're being threatened with death? You could say, I choose Jesus because you have the Holy Spirit in your life working on you so you can get to a place where he's more important than your life. Chris, you mean if you were taken before Domitian, do you think you would renounce you? I don't know. I'd like to say I would choose Jesus, but I've never been in that situation before. I'd like to believe it. But I know a carnal Christian would say, uh, let me think about this for a second. They'd repent. I say, you know what? I'll renounce Jesus and repent later. But John says, kill me. Go ahead, this body, it's a trap anyway. This body is just punishment because when I die, I gain Jesus. So many Christians today, they want the things of this world. They want Hollywood. They want fame. They want fortune. They want a record deal. They want to be the next preacher. My reward is him. It's him. It's it. It's him. That one day I'm going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to say, Chris, you see these people? These are the ones that when you were praying countless hours in the Holy Ghost, you had no idea, but you were praying for them. You know what God told me one day? When I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, you can argue with me, you can debate with me, but I'm convinced it was God that told me this. He was talking to me about divine love. And he said, Chris, when Paul entered heaven, do you know who the first person there it was to meet him at the gate. I said, no. He said it was Stephen. <laughs> because when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, friend, the reward is that he brings you into a divine love. the life of the Spirit. The reward is that I experienced the love of God in my life. John looked at Domitian and said, Domitian, I spent my whole life serving Jesus. What is it if you take it away from me? How could you get to that place? Will you overcome your flesh to the point of death? you're going to die for your flesh, friend, you're not going to fall to lust. Now the ultimate 
temptation was given to John, that was death. And he considered his body dead because he was alive in Jesus. Domitian said, throw him in a vat of oil. There's a vat of oil that was waiting for him over Kindle timber. They threw John in, and this is not a historical legend. This is a true fact. You can read it in numerous church history books that when they threw John in that oil, that oil did not consume him. He sat in there, and they tried to watch him boil, but his flesh would not boil. Why? I like to say because there was something supernatural working in him. Greater is he that was in John than he that was in the world. Friend, you have something supernatural working on the inside of you. And the difference between you and John is John had a revelation of it because he had a closer walk with the Spirit because the Spirit was all that he had. Domitian said, get this freak out of here. Took him and sent him to the island of Patmos. If you study the island of Patmos, you'll find that Patmos was a 10 by 10 square mile island and the resources were scarce and he was exiled as a political prisoner. He was taken to the island of Patmos and political prisoners were different from social criminals. Social criminals would be on the island of Patmos and they were forced into slave labor and chain gangs. Political prisoners were let free on the island and they had to make a living of them. They had to make a living there themselves with no resources and no help from the Roman legionnaire and government. When apostle, when John got to the island of Patmos, he was on his own. So they thought until he made his home in a cave. And if you visited Patmos today, you could actually visit the cave that John was in when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came to visit John. See, some people think that the greatest reward in Christendom is to be a martyr. A lot of people want to be a dead martyr because they can't be a living sacrifice, friend. But here's the difference. I believe the greatest thing you can be called in the kingdom of God is a friend of Jesus. Not everybody is a friend of Jesus because you'll find out that the friends of Jesus were the ones that were so persecuted. They were so sold out to the spirit and they were in such entrapment that from time to time, even though they were alone and even though they were by themselves, can you imagine John breaking rocks on Patmos? See, some people, they want to be worldwide preachers, and at the end of their life, they want to have buildings named after them, and they want to have books written after them. But what about the Apostle Paul? He died at a Roman Colosseum with his head hit the dusty floor, and John was thinking to himself when he was on Patmos, if no one ever calls me the great apostle, if I'm never venerated by the Roman Catholic Church, it doesn't matter to me. If my reward is at the end of my life, I have to break rocks on this island, it doesn't matter to me because my life is nothing, and he is everything didn't matter to him why because he had the spirit and that's all that mattered and so while he was breaking rocks he saw the king of kings appear to him and this wasn't the loving jesus that had his eyes that were full of liquid love and his beard it was a different jesus he was full of love but this time he was looking at him as the godhead and when john saw him in his humanity he was now looking at jesus and his divinity see you are equal to jesus and the fact that he came to represent you as mankind and that's the fact that you are now an heir of god and a joint heir with jesus christ and his humanity but his deity friend you will never touch it and he came and he appeared to John this way. Supernaturally, Domitian was killed in Rome. And after Jesus had appeared to John, the ban was lifted. And John was taken back to Ephesus. And he lived to write seven letters to seven churches. And to tell these seven churches about what he saw on the Isle of Patmos. And here's what I find significant for him. Is that when you study the, seven, when you study the book of Revelation, you'll find out in the first nine verses of Revelation chapter 1, John uses his name three times. 
He says in the first verse, I, John. He says in the fourth verse, I, John. He says in the ninth verse, I, John. And I begin to study this and wonder, why is it that John uses his name three times in the first nine verses of the book of Revelation? And let me show you this real quickly because this is what begins to happen, friend, when you have such a walk with the Spirit. And I'm going to close with this. Revelation chapter 1. How many want to go into that deep walk of the Spirit? I'm not going after what I saw other people attain to. I'm going after what Paul had. I'm going after what John had. I'm going after what Peter had. To where I no longer consider my life anything. I'm no longer trying to gain ascendancy over the flesh. And I'm no longer trying to gain ascendancy over the soul. What I'm trying to do, friend, is I am trying to get to that place where I wreak havoc to hell. And I tear hell up so bad. Take my life. It doesn't matter to me. He says in verse number nine, I, John. When you study the Greek in verse number nine, you, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know a little Greek. You'll find out that what John was talking about was when he gets to I, John, in the ninth verse, the Greek literally implies that by this point in his letter, he is raising his voice and he's saying, at the first time he says, I, John. The second time, I, John. The third time he says, I, John, am writing this letter to you. And I said, why is it that he wrote his name three times and on the third time he raised his voice and hired it several decibels like he was yelling at them? And the reason is this, because if he was the greatest apostolic voice over not just seven churches, but probably 49 or more different churches, what scholars say, is that if he was taken captive, there was rumors going on about John. Did you hear about John? He was taken captive and he was killed by Domitian. Did you hear about John? He had his head cut off. Did you hear about John? A big eagle picked him up, dropped him in the Aegean Sea. He's now dead. Did you hear about John? He was exiled to Spain. He's all, he was chopped into 15 different pieces. We don't know where he's at. They didn't have Facebook and emails back then. They didn't have world news back then. They didn't have the desert Christian news to tell you what was going on. They had no clue. And when he wrote the letter, he was saying, it's not a scribe. It's not someone pretending to be me. It is me and it is John and I'm writing to tell you right here that it doesn't matter what the enemy tried to do to me because I had the power of the spirit working in my life nothing could stop me and it's me and I'm telling you greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world what are you trying to say here brother Palmer that when you begin to start the humbling process in your life, which is not asking God. Thank you for listening. For more information about Chris Palmer and Chris Palmer Ministries, visit us on the web at www.chrispalmerministries.com or call us at 1-866-98-AWAY. And remember, walk in the Spirit in these last days.